morning. Steve has asked me to read from Judges 6, verses 36 through 40. Judges 6, verses 36 through 40. And Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying, on, laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece alone, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for allowing us to gather here today to worship and to praise your name. And just, uh, I ask that you bless our time here today. Uh, let all the things we do be uh, holy to you and uh, according to your word, Lord. I ask that you be a Steve as he gives us a lesson today and let him speak from the word and speak, speak truth to us. And let us take his lesson and apply it to our lives and go out and teach it to all that need to hear your word. I thank you uh, for our blessings, Lord, for... Uh, just everything you've given us, uh, the opportunity to meet here and to wake up and live another day. Thank you once again for all the blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Off. There we go. How is everyone today? Got a thumbs up. That's pretty good. I like it. I'm better having come here today. I thank all of you for being here this morning, and I thank everybody that uh, participated in worship, whether you were leading something or if you were just singing, thank you, because my day is getting uh, exponentially, that's the word, exponentially. My, my day is getting exponentially better as I spend time here, so thank you all for being here this morning. I appreciate it. No, it always strikes me as very strange how all of the lessons and prayers and things people say keep lining up in one direction. It's like every Sunday. And here we are again. We're in Judges chapter 6, and I'm not going to be able to cover all this. So we're going to cover part of it. I'm, I'm just going to cover part of this story. It's a big story. It's an interesting story. I know that I had it in coloring book form, flannel graph form, and other forms as a child in Sunday school. That's how interesting of a story this is. But we're not going to be able to go over the whole thing. Seems to me the message God is sending us this morning, and we didn't collude on this, there was no collusion. Um, thank you for the few of you that laughed at that. There was no collusion this morning um, in the message that is being brought this morning is that we need to be brave. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. The interesting thing about today's story is it answers the question of how brave we have to be. And the importance of this story is to remember what our part is 
in doing God's work. If you're under-equipped, if you're unready, if you're afraid, if you're too handsome, too bald, whatever you are, whatever you think is getting in the way, um, that's just Satan lying to you, which he does a lot. He's been telling a lot of lies of late. So to get into this story, if you have your Bibles this morning, it would be helpful because we're going to be flipping around some, and you might want to go read some of this later, but I'll hit some high points. First, a little context, as usual. Uh, the land of, wait, I think I can do like a, there we go. I think I'm drawing something right there. There we go. Um, the land of uh, that the people inhabit is, there we go, is around here. This is where the judges are judging. The Israel doesn't have all of the land. They've got a good portion of the land here. Doesn't that look great? Very professional. Um, but they have a good portion of the land there. But the problem is um, that there are other people there as well. Because the Israelites have not been faithful to God. You remember when God gave them the land, He said, if you're faithful to Me, if you keep My commandments, you'll prosper beyond your imaginations. But if you worship other gods, then you will be as cursed as the people you drove out. And so, as a result of that, God sent upon them people from Midian. Midian is the, the portion there uh, shown on the map. It's just to the east of the Sinai Peninsula. And He sent people up from Midian. And they were... They came in, God brought them in to oppress the people. That sounds strange, doesn't it? God allowed the Midianites to come in. God didn't want the Midianites to hurt His people, but the contract between God and His people at that time was, if you obey My commands, I will prosper you beyond your wildest dreams, but if you... Turn away from me to other gods. I will back off. And so the Midianites came in and were taking over the land. And it wasn't a one-time thing. It says in the Scripture that they had the, the hill country around the area and, and there would be raiding parties in caves. So it wasn't a one-time thing. Over and over again, they were launching raiding parties into the area where our story takes place. It's in a, a region called Ophrah. Not Oprah, Ophrah. Okay? So, this particular story, what's going on right now is God's people are just trying to survive. And that's hard to do because of the aforementioned raiding parties. Just every time they gather up wheat or whatever they gather if they if their sheep are are wandering around outside the the midianites are just going to come and take whatever's there and haul it off and laugh and eat it and god's people will starve so our hero when we first see him 
It is around the time of the grape harvest. And it's time to press the grapes into grape juice <laughs> and store it. And uh, later on it becomes the wine that they drink. So at the beginning of our story, the grapes have just been picked and our hero, Gideon, is underground pressing grapes into wine. And why is he underground? Because if they saw some guy out there pressing grapes into wine, what do you think the Midianites that are coming to raid all the time are going to do? They're going to swoop in there. They're going to take everything. So our, our hero is underground hiding, pressing grapes. And we, we start here in uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 11 with a very ironic opening. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Azur... Abiezrite. Ab- Ab- I always have trouble with it. Abiezrite. Thank you. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? He's using the the wheat mill to press out grapes because he doesn't want to get his grapes stolen. An angel of the Lord shows up under the terebinth. That's a terebinth, by the way. And says, hey, good to see you, O mighty man of valor. Moving on to verse 13. This is interesting. He sees an angel of the Lord, and the angel says, you know what? Come here, tough guy. I I thank you, almighty warrior who's hiding underground. Gideon's first reaction, when he sees an angel of the Lord, Gideon says to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers have told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Well, that's a bit sassy. To angel of the Lord, his first thing is like, oh great, what have you been doing? If you're really with the Lord, why am I underground pressing grapes into wine? What's God? My fathers told my our fathers and grandfathers told us how great God is. I don't see nothing great. What's God doing? And this is another one of those telling things about God is that Gideon isn't instantly killed. Now you think about that. And there's something, too, that's a little bit of a... It's just a tiny rabbit hole. Stay with me. But God... I don't feel like He's being... The words here, He's not being disrespectful. He's saying, what is going on? I don't know what's going on. We're all hungry, and I'm scared. What's happening? Because right now, we're just being overridden by the Midianites. Well, it turns out... One of the biggest problems is Gideon's father has completely 
turned over to foreign gods, to the Baals. And so that's going to be Gideon's first task that he has to do. But let's read on. And the Lord turned to him, or the angel of the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Did not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. There's a lot just right there. First of all, the Lord turns it back around on him. And he says, don't tell me. He doesn't say that. He says, why don't, if you have a problem with what's going on, why don't you go do something about it? And Gideon says, well, um, what am I supposed to do about it? We're not a strong nation, obviously, because the Midianites are running us down. The house of Manasseh is the smallest house, and my father is is not a my father's house isn't a big one, and I'm the least in my father's house. You've literally picked the most unimportant, the least powerful man out of all your people, and you've come to me and told me I need to go save my people. I'm the least qualified, the least capable. You have, to, you have to remember, when you showed up, I was hiding down in a, in a uh, wheat mill pressing out grapes. I understand. But what does it say there? The Lord says, did I not send you? What does he mean by that? He means, if I told you to go strike down the Midianites, then you can do it. Because if you couldn't do it, I wouldn't have told you to do it. If I send you, you can know that you will, as it says in verse 16, strike the Midianites as one man. They won't stand up to you. As improbable as that sounds, these people who've been oppressing you for years and years, it's like Gideon's living in 1940s France, and the, the Germans have occupied everything and are taking everything, except for it's much, much worse than that. It's much, much, much worse than that. And he's saying, you want me to go and just, oh, okay, just go slap Hitler in the face and be done with it? And God says, I, didn't I just tell you to? Isn't that what I said? Yes. So the interesting thing is, while Gideon's underground doing nothing, being being afraid, which, you know, we can't blame him. He was the least of the least of all the men in uh, the whole people of Israel at this time. But God's saying, look, there's a problem here. And because you're my son, you can do something about it. The first thing God has him do, and you're going to have to read this 
in the text. The first thing is he has to start at home. His father has put up an Asherah pole. It's converting a tree into basically a maypole for worshiping Ashtaroth. And he has a, a bull of Baal that they are worshiping. He says, okay, first thing you have to do is you have to get rid of those things in your own house. I know it's your father's, but your first thing is to get rid of them. So <laughs> he does this, but being the mighty man of valor that he is, he gets some friends of his together and they do it at night because he's afraid of his dad and he's afraid of the people in the town and what they might do to him. Now, at this point, surely he's already smack-talked the angel. He's been, he's been a complainer. And now, when he does God's work, he doesn't bravely say, in the name of the Lord, Father, I strike down your Asherah pole. I'll destroy it. I destroy your altar because the Lord has called upon me. He doesn't do any of that. He sneaks in at night and takes care of it. Now, why is God still betting on this guy? This guy is a coward. What's going on here? And I think it's interesting that God continues to use Gideon. Again, Gideon was the least qualified person, the least capable person, and he's not turning out to be a man of valor at all. Or is he? And that's the question. Because out of all the people of Israel, he is the only one that struck down the Asherah pole and destroyed the idol to Baal. And let's be honest, if we were going to give Gideon a job performance rating, he wouldn't be getting a raise anytime soon. He's getting the work done. But he's not doing it all that well, let's be honest. When God has told him, look, I told you to go do it, and if I tell you to do it, that's enough. He's doing barely enough to get by, wouldn't you say? But his doing barely enough to get by is literally more than all the rest of the kingdom of Israel is doing. And that's why we're talking about Gideon this morning. Because the story doesn't stop there. Here's an interlude that we need to talk about in, in starting in verse 33 of chapter 6. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites, so it's not just the Midianites, there's other hostile nations, and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. So things have gone from bad to worse. Now the Amalekites and the Midianites, aren't they're, they're both coming at them and this isn't raiding parties anymore. This is now, they're mobilizing the forces of two nations against Israel. They've come across the Jordan and it's obvious why they've come across. They've come to destroy God's people. But verse 34, but the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet. And I'm going to mess this up again. And the Abiezrites 
were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. An interesting part of the story that in Sunday school we didn't go over a lot. It's interesting the wording there. God clothed him. What does that mean? Did God give him a magic shirt? Did he have a particularly lovely fez? What did God clothe him with? God took this coward, weakling. We don't know that he's a weakling, but... And he's saying, look, when I called you a man of valor, I meant you are a man of valor. And he gave him, he clothed him in a way that when he sent out the, the request, the response came back and everyone was mobilized to come help. Not because he was a charismatic figure. Not because they saw his bravery of chopping down a tree in the middle of the night and smacking down an altar in the middle of the night. No, that didn't give him any credit at all. God clothed him. There was nothing about Gideon that brought people to him. It was God that brought the people to Gideon. Because God, again, is following up on His promise. If I tell you to get up and do something about it, and I send you, then it's already, it's already done. It's a fait accompli. Alright? So, Going on to chapter 7, we're getting to the end of this story here. Now, you guys know from Sunday school, he was only allowed to bring 300 men. God said, look, now that we've got this crowd gathered, okay, out of all these men of valor, these men ready to fight, I want you to pick 300 of these men. That's it. That's it. And I want you to go and cut down the Midianites. So let's read that in chapter 7. I'm sorry, the hundred men. I don't know what's wrong with my brain this morning. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Do you remember this from Sunday school? Did you, have the little, did you make the little jar and the torch? Yeah? Okay, one person did that. Their entire job during this battle, he doesn't give them the best armor, the best swords, anything like that. He says your job is to show up with a pitcher and a torch. And when the time comes, I want you to yell, break the pitcher, and light the torch. A silly way to fight a war. An extremely silly way to fight a war. And yet, that was the command. The important thing in this story... It was three, three companies, yes. The important thing in this story is verse 19. They blew the trumpets and they smashed the jars that were in their hands. That's the key to this whole thing. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and the right hands the trumpets to blow, and they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon! Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. 
When they blew the 300 trumpets, okay, my brain is working, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army, and the army fled as far as Beth Shittah toward Zerarah, as far as the border of Abel, Meholach, and Tabath. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all of Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. So how was this battle fought? Because they showed up, they lit the torches, they broke the pitchers, and they spoke a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And the rest, all the actual killing, all the actual fighting was done by the Midianites against themselves. Now think about that just for a minute. Start with the guy hiding underneath the ground, pressing grapes into wine because he doesn't want the Midianites to take him. And Lord shows up and says, well, if you don't like it, go do something about it. And here we are, some time later, and all the Midianites are dead exactly as God said. So what did Gideon do? Why is he a hero? What did he do? I'll tell you, this is the important part. Gideon was a man of valor, not because he was brave. Not because he was strong. Not because he was charismatic. Gideon was a hero because out of all the people in Israel, when God said, if you don't like what's happening, do something about it, he showed up. He's the one that showed up. He didn't do anything special. He just showed up. He did his piddly little part. And that made him different from every other man of his age to the point where we're talking about him this Sunday morning. Now granted, there was a little bit more to it than just showing up. There was more than one task involved. But honestly, all God asked of him in the end to actually destroy Midian was take the men I've selected. I clothed you to draw these men to you. I'm the one that separated them into just 300. I'm the one that gave you the plan. All I'm asking you to do, literally, is take these things Walk over here, tell the guys what to do, walk with them. Then when you get there, stand in this really terribly frightening situation with all the armies arrayed against you. That is terrifying. That's a terrifying prospect. Maybe he just lights the torch, breaks the picture, pitcher, and they all just come and just wipe. It's only 300 guys. That ain't that big of a problem. They could kill them in under two minutes. What Gideon did was he believed the Lord enough to just show up and do his part. And that was all God asked. Now, God surely would have preferred 
that he had believed God fully and rose the next day and said, Father, you're wrong. I'm going to strike it down because this is an abomination against the Lord. And that he would have stood up to the, the Midianites and the Amalekites and said, look, you are going to die today at the hand of the Lord Jehovah. He didn't do any of that. He did a cowardly job, but he did his job. And the Lord did the rest. So here's the points I want us to take away from this. Number one, God sees strength differently than we do. You may think you're weak. You may think you're incapable. You may think the things that need to be done are not things that I have any business even putting my brain to, let alone doing anything about. God disagrees. Secondly, God will not allay all of our fears. There, God does a lot, though, for Gideon. God sends Gideon a sign. First, he sends him an angel. And then Gideon wants another sign. So God gives him another sign. And then he's like, well, maybe that sign wasn't really a sign. Maybe I only thought it was a sign. So God gives him another sign. God doesn't strike him down. God keeps working with him to get him past his fears. But at a certain point, obviously his fears didn't go away, did they? But God worked with Gideon enough to just kind of help him over the hump. Or even though he didn't stand up strong, he did stand up. That doesn't mean that it wasn't scary to go stand at the Midianite camp and light the torches and break the pitchers. Interestingly, this is another thing that's consistent throughout the Bible. God's plans cannot be derailed by our fears. Just because Gideon was a coward, that didn't mean that God's promise was no longer valid. That's, if you read from Genesis on, men of God are cowards sometimes, you know, including and maybe especially Abraham. But Abraham's the father of, of faith and counted righteous by God because he did show up. He did do what he was told to do. The point is, God's not setting the bar very high. And because we barely make it over that bar, doesn't mean that God's promise is null and void. Really important point. God will clothe us in power. You may not look like, sound like, talk like, be like anyone that can do what God is calling you to do. But that doesn't matter. God will clothe you to do the job that needs to be done. To draw the people to you that need to be drawn. And the important point about that is God brings us allies. He didn't ask Gideon to do this alone, did He? God brought allies to Gideon's side. Did that quell Gideon's fears? No. <laughs> Didn't seem like anything was going to completely allay Gideon's fears, but 
the important thing, again, I'll say it again, is that Gideon did not let his fears make his feet stop moving. And that's what makes him a hero. He just put one foot in front of the other until God gave him the victory. But we have to remember, victory is from God's power, not ours. And we were talking about that this morning, right? How when we're trying to do God's work, it seems like I'm just never going to be able to do this. Every time I try something, it seems like things just blow up in my face and backfire. I think I'm doing more harm than good half the time. I don't know. I don't think I'll ever be able to do this. And the answer is, of course, you will not be able to do this. You will never be able to do this. God will. The power is not from us. The clothing is not our clothing. God provides us the clothing, and God hands us the victory. And literally, the only thing we have to do is show up where he says to show up and do what he says to do, no matter how terrifying it is, no matter how impossible it seems. Are you just, no matter how beat down you are, are you, will you show up and do the thing God asked you to do, yes or no? No matter how tired you are, no matter how discouraged you are, no matter how hurt you are, no matter how hungry you are, will you show up and do the thing that God asked you to do? Because what God asked you to do is not defeat the Midianites. God asked you to show up, speak the words, break the pitcher, and light the torch. You can do that, can't you? You don't have to do all of this. Stop talking about, I can't do that. I know you can't do that. Can you do the thing that God asked you to do? Will you show up and do that thing? And not worry about, well, what's the next thing? Don't worry about the next thing. Show up and do the thing God asks you to do. And that makes you a hero. And it makes... It makes you a child of God, and the victory comes because God has that low of a bar. It takes that little to be a hero because God is that powerful and that loving and that patient. And thank you, God, that you are. If you're discouraged or scared or whatever, welcome to the club. <laughs> Welcome to the club, people. We're the club of the saved, though. We're the, we're the club of the powerful. We're the club of the victorious. Because Christ brings us the victory for no good reason other than He wants to. So, are you going to be a hero? Are you going to be the one person that when God calls will say, okay, I guess... That's it. That's good enough for God. Okay, I guess. As long as you show up. But maybe we can do better than that even. Maybe we can say, okay, God, I, I don't see how this is going to work, but I trust you. I'll show up. Will you be a hero? If you have any need of the church and you want us to pray with you, 
Please let us do that. If you have a praise, I'm begging you, share that with us. We want to hear the good news of things God has done in your life. If you're not a Christian this morning and you'd like to put him on, like to be put on Christ, be clothed in purity and holiness and eternal life through baptism, please come forward while we stand, while we sing this song.